And it's about growing up Asian American and gay in Detroit in the 80s. We had this really wonderful Chinese restaurant that my parents raised me and my five siblings in. My fear of coming out really had to do with disappointing them because I saw how much they were sacrificing. I love that the time that you were able to be alone with the International Mail Catalog, you you were in a walk-in freezer. <laughs> you know, there are very few places to hide in Chinese restaurant <laughs> where you get your own thing. Welcome to This Way Out, the international LGBTQ radio magazine. I'm Greg Gordon. Canada's security agency warns of looming anti-queer violence. Russia's riot police continue their hysterical raids on alleged LGBTQ propaganda and serving up life lessons at a Detroit Chinese restaurant. All that and more this week because you've discovered This Way Out. I'm Melanie Keller. And I'm Alan Tihamo. With News Wrap, a summary of some of the news in or affecting LGBTQ communities around the world for the week ending February 24th, 2024. Anti-queer groups now pose an extreme threat of violence against LGBTQ people in Canada. The Security and Intelligence Services Integrated Terrorism Assessment Center sounded the alarm in a report obtained this week by the public broadcaster, CBC. An escalation of anti-queer rhetoric and threats coming from the leaders of several provincial governments helped lead to that conclusion. The rise of hostile organizations and recent attacks on university gender studies classes were also considered. The agency is tasked with assessing the threat of terrorism in Canada. It analyzes potentially violent groups and people's intent, their ability to inflict physical violence, and the most likely opportunities for them to act on those impulses. LGBTQ pride events, queer night spots, and other public gatherings were specifically mentioned in the report as vulnerable targets. Anti-LGBTQ narratives, the report says, remain a common theme in violent rhetoric espoused by white nationalists, neo-Nazis, the freedom movement, and networks such as QAnon. It adds, trans and drag communities in Canada have been the target of several other online threats and real-world intimidation tactics in recent months. The most recent numbers from Statistics Canada seem to support the report's conclusions. Anti-queer hate crimes were reported to the police 265 times in 2019. That number increased a shocking 85% in 2022 to 491. It's commonly understood that far more anti-queer hate crimes go unreported. The leader of a national consortium of Canadian LGBTQ pride organizations calls the warnings disheartening, but not surprising. Fierte Canada Pride's Alessandro Iacelli told the CBC, There is not a day that goes by that I don't open my computer screen or my television to see something that attacks our community. It reminds Iacelli of the 2016 massacre at Orlando, Florida's Pulse nightclub. He warns, if anybody thinks that that's not going to happen in Canada, they better wake up. Raids on queer or queer-supported gatherings by Russian riot police are now almost routine. A mid-February My Little Pony fan convention in Moscow was shut down by federal agents who claimed the animated children's TV show promotes LGBTQ plus propaganda. After all, 
the character Rainbow Dash has a rainbow mane. Organizers dyed her mane with the colors of the Russian flag on their flyers, but that was not enough. Russian security forces swept into an unofficial gay night party this week at the Typography Club in the city of Tula, about a hundred miles south of Moscow. Feminine-looking customers were dragged out into the snow during the raid and beaten, according to local activists and human rights groups. Nine patrons were taken into custody and charged with spreading unlawful LGBTQ plus propaganda. St. Petersburg's popular gay club Central Station is closing its doors. They announced on social media this week that their landlord is refusing to renew their lease. Another event busted by security forces was described by two Russian broadcasters as an LGBTQ plus party for people opposed to Vladimir Putin's invasion of Ukraine. Police allegedly found items with LGBT symbols banned in Russia, suspicious documents, and handwritten materials criticizing the war on February 18th in St. Petersburg. However, the independent Russian media outlet MediaZone cautioned that those reports were coming from broadcasters owned by a Russian oligarch with close ties to Vladimir Putin. This wave of anti-queer attacks began in November 2023 with a ruling by Russia's Supreme Court. It declared any representations of what it called the international LGBTQ movement to be unlawful extremism. Police began raiding popular queer night spots in Moscow on December 1st in search of the imaginary conspiracy and branched out to queer popular saunas soon thereafter. Tennessee is still kicking and screaming about marriage equality. The U.S. state's Republican governor, Bill Lee, signed a bill into law on February 21st that lets government-authorized officials refuse to perform same-gender weddings based on their conscience or religious beliefs. State officials are still required to issue marriage licenses to queer couples, but they can opt out of solemnizing the union. Tennessee law allows all religious leaders, judges, county clerks, and notary publics to legally officiate a marriage. Other local government officials and legislative members often do so, too. The measure flew through both houses of the Republican-dominated state legislature on party-line votes. The Human Rights Campaign is suggesting an imminent legal challenge. Spokesperson Molly Whitehorn says the new law is intended to exclude LGBTQ plus folks from equal protection under the law. Will Virginia Republican Governor Glenn Youngkin sign a bill that codifies marriage equality in his state? It passed a democratically controlled state legislature by narrow margins in both houses this week. Democrats argue that the U.S. Supreme Court seems open to overturning what had until then been considered immutable precedent since the overturning of Roe v. Wade. The bill's state Senate sponsor Adam Eben and its House of Delegates companion bill sponsor Rosiah Henson are both gay men. They fear that overturning its 2015 Obergefell marriage equality ruling is next. In fact, far-right Justice Samuel Alito called for the High Court to reconsider that decision again this week. So has Justice Clarence Thomas. That could trigger statutes banning it that remain in Virginia's books, so marriage equality needs to be fully guaranteed. Governor Youngkin has until April 17th to act on all the legislation that has reached his desk. 
then lawmakers would convene to consider any of his vetoes or proposed amendments. His office would only tell the Virginia Mercury on February 21st that Youngkin will review any legislation that comes to his desk. Montana's Department of Public Health and Human Services is stuck in a time loop. It announced new guidelines to prevent trans people from updating their birth certificate gender markers that are virtually identical to those that a federal district court judge struck down as unconstitutional in 2022. An official February 20th statement from the department argues that the regurgitated guidelines align with legislation signed in May 2023 by Republican Governor Greg Gianforte. That law defines sex as only male or female based solely on biology. Critics call it a blatant attempt to legally erase transgender and non-binary identities in the state. Alex Rate is the legal director of the ACLU of Montana. They brought the original lawsuit that led to the 2022 victory. He told the Montana Free Press that we'll be back in court, no doubt. The new rule runs afoul of the same constitutional provisions from dignity to privacy to equal protection. Finally, Washington State LGBTQ activists and allies are joining a group of strippers and adult dancers in support of the Strippers' Bill of Rights. The bill would improve the entertainer's working conditions and also repeal so-called lewd conduct regulations governing establishments that serve liquor. Those antiquated rules were cited in last month's unprovoked raids on several queer night spots in Seattle. Queers and strippers rallied together on February 19th at the state capitol in Olympia. Out Democratic Senate Majority Leader Jamie Peterson pushed the bill after adding the amendment to dump the lewd conduct statutes. It passed in his chamber on February 21st by a vote of 29 to 20. The measure also establishes a process for strip clubs to secure liquor licenses, which could become a sticking point in the state house. Speaker Lori Jenkins says she will not support a bill that includes liquor service in strip clubs. Strippers are workers organized the state capitol rally and has been lobbying for the bill. The group insists that those clubs need to serve liquor to increase profit margins in order to prevent widespread closures and many lost jobs. As the strippers took turns pole dancing in the rain, the demonstrators chanted, We strip our clothes, not our pay. That's News Wrap, global queer news with attitude, for the week ending February 24th, 2024. Follow the news in your area and around the world. Informed community is a strong community. News Wrap is written by Greg Gordon, edited by Lucia Chappelle, produced by Brian DeJazer, and brought to you by you. Thank you. Help keep us in ears around the world at thiswayout.org, where you can also read the text of this newscast and much more. For This Way Out, I'm Melanie Keller. Stay healthy. And I'm Alan Tihamo. Stay safe. I'm Stephen Fry. The great Oscar Wilde once said, the only sin is stupidity. That is why it is imperative that we stay as informed as possible. An excellent way to do this is to listen to This Way Out, the international radio program for all our sexually diverse communities. Our listeners support This Way Out in many ways. By subscribing to our e-newsletter. Email us at info at thiswayout.org. 
and through your financial contributions to our program. More information about how you can give is online at thiswayout.org. Thank you. The U.S. city of Detroit, Michigan became known as the Motor City for its automobile industry of mostly white union workers. It became known as the City of Soul for the R&B sound of Motown Records. It has a Mexican town in the southwest. There used to be a Chinatown in what's known as the Cass Corridor, anchored by the famed restaurant Chung's Cantonese Cuisine. In deeply segregated Detroit, for 80 years, Chung's was one of the few places where you could find some of everybody. Curtis Chin's family owned Chung's until it closed in 2000, which is why the title of his memoir is Everything I Learned, I Learned in a Chinese Restaurant. Growing up gay and Asian in the 80s, Chin's world was full of diversity and hope, despite what were sometimes a dangerous environment. He talked about some of the book's highlights in excerpts from his delightful conversation with Dennis Hensley on the podcast, Dennis, Anyone? How do you describe the book to someone that knows nothing about it? It's about growing up Asian-American and gay in Detroit in the 80s. Uh, it was a very tough time period for my hometown. Uh, the auto industry was really struggling. We had crack cocaine. Uh, we had AIDS. I knew five people murdered by the time I was 18 years old. But despite that, we had this really wonderful Chinese restaurant that my parents raised me and my five siblings in. Uh, and so the book is really not just my own memoir, but it's really a thank you to my parents for all the hard work um, and guidance they offered us, but also a hat tip to my hometown of Detroit, because I feel like a lot of people have misunderstanding of the city uh, and stereotypes about it. And so I wanted to sort of show, hey, you know, it's still a wonderful city and a great place to, to uh, raise a family. Your parents come across so vividly in the book. They're so moving to me, and they're so different from each other. Mm. Uh, you talk about when you were developing your own cooking style, that your mother was very, follow the recipe, your dad is, trust your gut, trust your heart. It's like this mixture of two opposite kinds of personalities that come together in you and in the way you approach a lot of your life. And I find them both so moving in different ways. Mm. Um your father is no longer with us. I think I read that. Yeah. Um, sadly, there was a car accident uh, one morning back in Detroit as they were picking up vegetables and going into work. My dad sadly didn't make it. Uh, my mom was severely injured. Uh, and I actually had to leave the show that I was working on at that time and go back home and uh, sell the family business. This really wonderful restaurant that my great-grandfather founded in 1940 in Detroit. And... Um, it was really hard. Yeah. And your, and your mother has, she, she's, I take it. She's read the book and what does she think of all of this? No, she has not read the book. She's not Nobody, read the book. Yeah. I don't think any of my siblings have read the book. I don't think anybody in my family's read the book. You know, uh, as my sister said, uh, she has no interest in reading about my sexual awakening. So <laughs> <laughs> that might be the title of this episode. I always like to pull a quote and they know that they probably have a different, um, take on it than I do. Yeah. The restaurant itself, 
is like this haven. It's like a magical place. And it struck me in the book that you never got sick of it. The affection for the place never seemed to waver, even when you were away from it or even when you were working really hard. No, I loved that restaurant. I loved everything about it. I loved the fact that my family was there. I loved that there was so much free food there that I could just eat. Like anytime I was bored, I could just stick my head into a refrigerator, you know, and try something. Uh, And then in the dining room, we always had, you know, interesting people that would come in, whether it was the mayor to some Oscar winning actor to literally the pimps and prostitutes on on the street corner. You just never knew who was going to walk through that front door um, I think it also helped um, that my parents paid us yeah. versus some other kids, some immigrant kids, they, their parents don't pay them. But no, so I was making money at a young age. And that felt really kind of cool, too. It's like, oh, you know, all the money that I just put in the, the cigar box underneath my bed, you know, it was, was kind of nice to see that growing, too. So, yeah, no, I really loved it. Um, but I also loved it because I love my hometown. And this the restaurant itself was so tied into the history of the city, too. I loved how your father was with the customers, how he was so friendly and warm and listened. And you learned about a lot about life and people from watching him and being like him. Can you talk about that a little bit? Yeah. So the title of the book is called Everything I Learned. I Learned in a Chinese Restaurant. And a lot of people will ask me, well, what did you learn in a Chinese restaurant? What was the first lesson or the most important lesson? And I always like to say that the first lesson that I learned was primarily for my dad, my mom too, but primarily for my dad. And it was this idea that when you're a young kid, oftentimes your parents say, don't talk to strangers. And it was the opposite. They gave me the exact opposite because my mom didn't have a chance to graduate high school. My dad went to community college for a couple semesters before he had to quit and come and work at the restaurant. So they didn't necessarily know what were the opportunities for us outside the four walls of that Chinese restaurant. But they knew that we have a whole dining room of people that did you know, people with interesting careers and things like that. And so anytime my dad met somebody who thought, you know, could help us or whatever, he'd call all six of us kids to run over there and barrage these customers with questions of like, what do you do for a living? How did you get your job? How much money do you make? And so this idea that of being able to talk to people who are different from you, not being afraid to ask questions and not being afraid of asking for help. These are things that my parents really, my dad in particular, really taught us. And it's something that's really carried me through my life because I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do, which is basically traveling around the globe, you know, screening my films and giving book talks now. If I didn't have that ability to be able to just meet people where they're at, you know, that's something that dad taught me. I mean, Chinese restaurants are like that in general, right? Like you can go in and see anybody from a different race, class, socioeconomic background, religion, um, and that was that was the beauty of that place. Uh, and that's something else that my parents taught me was really just to judge people for who they are, their actions. Right. Because that's that's you know, you couldn't judge someone just for artificial things. You have to see how they come in and then you interact with them. And so, yeah, no, it was really a wonderful childhood where you really get to know people and um, you learn about society, I think, too. Um, you start to realize that you're gay. And you're a middle child. Yeah. Um, so my parents are really great. They never said anything anti-gay, no, nothing homophobic. I mean, we're families Buddhist. Um, we don't think in those terms that some other people do. Um, and so uh, my fear of coming out really had to do with disappointing them because I saw how much they were sacrificing for us, how much they had given up of their own lives, how um, definitely in the case of my mom, how stuck she felt being in that restaurant. 
not being happy. And I felt like uh, the worst thing I could do in life was to disappoint them. Particularly, again, my mom, who uh, she really put all the value of her own life in terms of how her kids turned out. It, it felt like if her kids were success, then that would prove that her life had meaning. Right. And you really uh, hone that into us at a very young age. And that's why I really I've just, I did everything I could to make her happy. Right. So you're starting to realize, oh, wait, I like guys. And you come upon an international mail catalog. Where do you, I can't remember. Where did it come from? Where did you find it? It was at the pet store. Where, where, where all the greatest, um, yeah, spank bank material is. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, you know, that's one of the things that I really wanted to do uh, in terms of writing this memoir was that um, I really wanted to posit my family in a time and place of Detroit in the 80s. Because I feel like sometimes um, when you read um, Asian American literature or, or maybe some you know, other communities, you don't always have a sense of how it connects to the larger picture yeah. of what's going on in America. So you... <laughs> I love that the time that you were able to be alone with the International Mail Catalog, you you were in a walk-in freezer. <laughs> you know, there are very few places to hide in the Chinese restaurant <laughs> where you get your own thing. So <laughs> the walk-in freezer was one of the few. <laughs> Which is such a funny image to me. But it worked. It, it, it did. It, it worked out. You made it work. It, it happened. Well, it's, very it's very hard to get hot and bothered yeah. in a walk-in freezer. Exactly. It's only so much you can do, right? Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you know what? You do the best you can with the choices that you're given. You're a Republican and really into a, it. Back then, I was considered the Asian Alex P. Keaton. Oh, I was class president, yeah. president of the National Honor Society. I co-founded the Young Republican Club, Students Against Smoking. Margaret Thatcher was my my uh, imaginary girlfriend. I mean, you she know, was your I Farrah was, Fawcett. Uh, yeah, she was Farrah Fawcett. Yeah, instead of Farrah Fawcett, I had a Margaret Thatcher. <laughs> <laughs> but I think that was part of it, you know, because the stereotype against Asians is that oh, we're not very loyal to America. So I was like, you know what? I'm going to be the most loyal, patriotic American that you ever see. You will never, ever question, right. you know, where my loyalties were. And so I, I did overkill. Much the way, you know, sometimes gay people do that. Like, you know, you have you pretend when you're in right. the closet, you pretend really straight because you don't want anybody questioning it. Right. I did that too along this other way. But I also think back, you know, for a lot of the young people these days, they, they've grown up with this term. It gets better. Right. I don't know if you felt that way when you were growing up, but I was trying to think back in hindsight, like, what were the things that gave me hope back then where I think thought that, oh, well, things will get better. And I don't think I thought there was anything. I think really that AIDS really um, seemed like it. Seemed yeah. Like that was good for all of us. You write and about thinking you were going to die young between the murdering and the, the AIDS and stuff like that. It, it really felt like you didn't have a big life ahead of you. I, I always just hope. That if I could get to the age of 30, I felt like that would be victory for me. Everything else after that would be icing on the cake. And, you know, this isn't in the book because the book ends when I'm 22. But, you know, all throughout my, my 20s, after I moved to New York, it was just like this big hold my breath and, you know, one more day closer to 30, one more day closer to wow. 30. Wow. What was it like when you finally turned 30? What was the day like? I exhaled. I was you exhaled. Like, I exhaled. I was like, okay, I did it. I, I achieved a life goal. I've, I've lived more than I thought. Right. And everything, I, I, everything that will come to me in life afterwards is, is on top of what I could reasonably expect as a gay person yeah. in the 80s. 
I listened to the audiobook of your of your thing, and you do a great job on it. There's one point where I cried, um, and it has to do with your mother and Reagan. And she was not on board with the way he was being about AIDS, right? She was bothered by it. And I think I wrote down yeah. the line. Um, I wanted him to help. Yeah. You know, there was a report on news about AIDS, and I was really scared of how my mom was going to react. So I just sat there frozen and then I started talking to my mom because I also wanted to test her to see, well, how does she feel about AIDS or by that proxy gay people? And um, she knew that I was a big Reagan fan, right? Right. And, um, and so I asked her, I said, well, what do you want him to do? What do you want him to do about it? He's busy. He's fighting the Russians. You know what I mean? That was like, you know, give him a break. And then my mom just said, he just said something to the fact that, you know, I want him to help. Yeah, Before it's that letter. simple. And, you know, when you think about that time period, um, you don't think of a, a, a Chinese immigrant woman working in a Chinese restaurant in Detroit as having a progressive position on these things. But it changed so many people's um, minds about gay people, that disease. Yeah. What a beautiful way to honor that all that history. And for okay. the reader, it's just a beautiful window into a, a wonderful place and a, and a wonderful family. Um. Tell people how they can find your book or find out where you're touring at. Well, you can always go to my website. It's called CurtisFromDetroit.com, and that's my tour schedule. I try to, um, you know, at least have a couple months in advance. Um, I don't want to overload people with too much, so I just put out the couple months. But in terms of where the book is sold, I mean, it's published by Little Brown, um, so it's everywhere. I actually uh, posted up on um, uh, Instagram uh, the, the time I found it in the airport. Oh, amazing. That's when you know you're uh, breaking through another level. I didn't know other writers had this too, because as soon as I posted it up, everybody's like, oh my God, you don't know how big that is. Or I had that exact same dream. Yeah. Because it really does mean that you have your, you know what I mean? Yeah. I I hear ka-ching, ka-ching a little bit in my head. And um, I'm so glad that I read it. And I'm so glad that we had this conversation. Thanks again to Curtis Chin. Check out his book, Everything I Learned, I Learned in a Chinese Restaurant. It's terrific. And the audio is excellent as well. That's how I listen to it. And he does a great job narrating his own story. Curtis Chin is currently continuing his book tour. And you can check out the dates at his website, CurtisFromDetroit.com. He was interviewed by Dennis Hensley of Dennis Anyone, a podcast about making things up and making things happen. Dennis is an L.A.-based writer and performer with credits including television, film, radio, novels, magazines, cruise ship shows, and the occasional tweet. To hear more of his conversations with Curtis and other creative people about their journeys, go to DennisAnyone.net.
Thanks for discovering This Way Out, brought to you by the nonprofit Overnight Productions. Newswrap was reported this week by Melanie Keller and Alan Tiamo and produced by Brian DeShazer. Hearty thanks to Dennis Hensley for sharing highlights from his Dennis Anyone podcast. Special production thanks to Oscar Rosario and to Mark Donald's replacement music for the Dennis Anyone podcast theme music. Aerosmith and Texas performed some of the other music you heard, and Kim Wilson composed and performed by theme music. This way out thanks David Hunt of Raleigh, North Carolina, and Richard Merck and Brad Payton of Silicon Valley. Listener donors make this program possible. Ask us about how you can join them. Look for This Way Out Radio on social media, email us at info at thiswayout.org, or write to us at PO Box 1065, Los Angeles, California, 90078, USA. For associate producer Lisa Chappelle and the entire This Way Out family, I'm Greg Gordon. We thank you for listening online at thiswayout.org or wherever you get your podcasts. And on 2BAY, Byron Bay, New South Wales, KTAL, Las Cruces, New Mexico, WRFN, Nashville, Tennessee, and a wide array of community terrestrial and internet radio stations around the world, including this one. Stay healthy, stay safe, and stay tuned.